Well, you know, when we first started worship today, why I had that same sense, um, that sense of unity that Lauren has been talking about here. And, you know, I just want you to know that when you invited Jesus Christ to be a part of your life, why, it's not just that he moved in and he'll never leave you or forsake you, but you joined a family. You, you, you joined a body. See, God has put his love in the hearts of each one of his sons and daughters, so, so you got a, a family that'll never leave you or forsake you. And, and, uh, and that loves you just like God does. You know, the way God loves is that, and the way we love our family is that we, we, we choose to see the best. We um, would defend no matter what the cost. Loyal no matter what. Uh, we choose not even to notice when you do it wrong. And, you know, Apostle Paul said we're a body. It's that close. But he also said we're, he talks about the great family of God, some on heaven and some on earth. And I want you to know right now in heaven why the Apostle Paul is cheering you on in the circumstances of your life. If you have loved ones that went before you, they're cheering you on in the issues that you face in life. You know, you, you know unity amongst the family of God is a powerful weapon. One puts a thousand to flight, two puts 10,000 to flight. You know that between heaven and earth, there's over eight billion members of our family. What is it like when eight billion people are behind you? How, how many do you put to flight then? I'll tell you the message of the gospel is that you cannot lose. If you'll maintain your focus on what God says, you will win every time. Every time. And I, so I'm just speaking that over, over you folks in this room and the folks that's watching this online. Anybody that's a son or a daughter of God, whatever it is that you're challenged with, if you keep focused on God, you will win. You have a family behind you that'll never leave you or forsake you. Man, I, I don't like losing and I love to win and that is good news. Man, why don't you greet your neighbor here and we'll move on with our service. Well, man, it's good to be in church today, isn't it? It's, it's my privilege to receive God's tithes and our offerings here. And, and we've got some ushers here. And if you're giving cash today and would like a tax receipt, well, just raise your hand and they'll give you an envelope so you get your tax receipt. And then uh, if you're making out checks, why it's, it's, it's Destiny Church. If you're watching online uh, or on television and you would like to, to give, why the address is up on the screen there. Uh, you can mail in, but, but also you can text to give which is very convenient, and that number is also on the screen. On the screen. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to say something about God's tithes this morning, and I'd ask that you not uh, react immediately, but you just take some time to think about this. You know, um, the, first, uh, the first place where God's tithe appears in the Bible is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, God put Adam and Eve... Um, uh, in the Garden of Eden, he gave them that garden, he gave them the earth, but he said that tree was his tree. And what his intent for that would be that, that, that Adam and Eve would harvest the fruit from that tree when it got ripe, and they'd bring it, present it to God, and the three of them would sit down together and enjoy that fruit, and God would teach them about good and evil. And that's God's same intent with his tithe today. You know, for us as sons and daughters of God, why, why we've been given heaven and earth and 90% of our income. But God says the first 10% of our income belongs to him because what he'd like to do is when we present that 10% to him, why he'd use it to teach us how to handle money the way he does. You see, in our, in our natural thinking, why we see money and resources as being limited. So then we have a... There's a built-in fear of loss when we have limited thinking like that. But with God, it's just the opposite. Money, resources, they are unlimited. If God wants more money, why, well, he'll create more money. And he wants to teach us to do the same thing. And, and, and you know, money to God uh, is more than just us paying off our house mortgage, or, for example, or buying our vehicles with cash. Man, he, he wants us to do that, but he wants us to overflow so much that we find somebody else that we could pay off their house mortgage because they're running the difficulty, part of our family. Or we buy somebody else a vehicle with cash. Wouldn't that feel good? 
to pay off some, a single mother's house mortgage. Oh, man, what a blessing for the giver. <laughs> so that's the way God handles money. But just think about this. You know, um, we, we call Abraham the father of our faith because uh, the covenant that we're in with God, why Abraham was the first one in that covenant. Well, Abraham, being in that tithing covenant, was the richest man on earth at the time he lived. And God actually used him to bring salvation to the earth. Abraham taught his son Isaac, the tithing covenant. And Isaac was so rich that the Philistines asked him to leave their land because they were jealous of his money. But then they had to go and beg him to come back because their economy fell apart when he was gone. He single-handedly was keeping that nation together because of the blessing of God. He was in the tithing covenant with God. Isaac's grandson, Joseph, controlled the wealth of the entire world. In fact, had it not been for him and his tithing covenant with God, the earth would have starved to death at the time that he lived. Boy, boy skip ahead. King David, a man after God's own heart and the ancestor of Jesus. In that tithing covenant with God, he amassed so much money that he collected all that to build Solomon's temple. Billions and billions of dollars worth in today's, in today's money. And then Solomon, David's son, as long as he stayed in that tithing covenant with God, he became the richest man to ever live on the earth. Man, God thinks big, and he wants to teach us those same things. That's what this tithe is all about. So if you want to take your tithe in hand, I'm, I'm going to pray over that along those lines. We'll agree together. But, but also, if, if you're here and you're giving an offering above the tithe, why, God guarantees that you can take back 100 times as much. And I'm going to agree with you on that, too. So let's agree together here. Man, Father God, thank you. You've given us everything. <laughs> Even the breath, the next breath we take is a gift from you. So we're bringing these ties to you right now, and we're telling you that our mind is open, man. Our heart is open. Teach us to handle money the way that you do so we can bring your kingdom to the earth. And also, God, for anybody giving an offering today, Man, you say in your word that, that they get a hundred times back what they're giving at least. And so we agree with that in Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Amen. Well, ushers, you can serve the people here. Um, got, got a few announcements. Um, okay, we got Ladies Connect at 6.30 this Thursday, September 16th. T Tiffany Schmidt will be our speaker there. So for all you ladies, 6.30 this Thursday. Yeah, that's, that's going to be good. Uh, okay, if you've got any questions about the church, uh, uh, you know, just like always, I'm, I'm after the service, I'm at the table that you see right when you go out in the foyer. And uh, if you've got any questions about the church, man, if we don't have your contact information, and man, it's just as simple as giving us your name and phone number. Um, you know, if events come up, why, we'll text you and make you aware of an upcoming meeting or if a schedule gets changed or something. Or if the, one of the family has a prayer need, that they ask for prayer uh, for the whole uh, family to pray together, why we'll, uh, why we'll pray for those. And, and, then, and then, you know, we're always trying to make things better. So if you've got any ideas on how to do that, why, why tell them to me and I'll pass them on to the folks in charge. And so there, there's that. And then, oh, we're starting up Wednesday night services, the first Wednesday in October. And, and boy, these are really going to be good. We got, got a special curriculum for, for the children uh, here back uh, in the children's church. Of course, the youth are over at, the, at, the, um, uh, at Destiny Fitness, which they are every Wednesday night. But then we got adult meetings too. And okay, so the uh, first Wednesday in October starts at 6.30. It'll be done promptly by 8. And man, we're going to have a great time and we're going to learn how to, how to get along better. How does that sound? <laughs> so, man, th thanks for being here today. Pastor C's got a word for us. <laughs> Going to learn to get along better. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. I was going to say something, but I better not say it. Uh, amen. Well, God's good. It's good to see you all. Yeah, it's wonderful. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them with me to um, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm really struggling this morning um, trying to figure out what to talk about. Um, I, uh, 
I really, you know, I, I put up there, you can put those five solas up there again. I, uh, I told you for the last several weeks, I've been telling you this. I hope you aren't getting bored with this, but I've been, thank you. Um, but I've been telling you that these are the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. We're a Protestant church. And, um, and you know, I said to you that in its day, when these were posted or published, they were so radical. I don't think most of us even understand how radical they were. Because the church at that time, for example, the first one, sola scripture by scripture alone. The first one, the church believed that the, the leadership of the church, tradition, and scripture all had the same, same bearing or same authority. And so what happened was the scripture kind of got thrown out and, and, and kind of ran over. And tradition and the, what the Pope and the leaders thought was, was more in, in effect. And so when he said, no, it's only Scripture, that was a powerfully radical statement. Or then by faith alone, because the church was basically taught a lot about works, a lot of works. I mean, you know, you had to give penance and do penance and, and do all of these things to, to become a child of God or to become righteous or become justified. And so that was a radical statement, by faith alone, and then by grace alone. I love the message of grace, and probably because it affected my life so much, because I grew up in kind of a legalism-type environment where I just felt like what I did, what my performance is what made me right with God. So if I did well, then I was doing well with God. If I didn't do well, then I wasn't doing well with God. And so in grace, the message of grace came alive to me, totally altered my life, totally altered my life. And the, the big, the big uh, hit on grace is that if you preach grace, people will live in sin and they won't feel conviction and they won't, they'll just live any way they want. But Paul said in Romans chapter 6, he said, sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law but under grace. So Paul's understanding of grace was not that you can sin and be everything's okay, but that actually when grace is working in a human heart, it gives them the ability to rise above the temptation of sin and to live the right kind of life. And so that was Paul's understanding of it. And you can see that all through the scriptures. And I told you this last week that when you look at legalistic, religiously legalistic environments, what you find is you find a lot of sin. Because, you know, the Bible says that the power of sin is what? The law. The, law. the power of sin is the law. The law does not, does not decrease sin. The law increases sin. The Bible plainly teaches that. That when the commandment came, sin didn't decrease, sin increased. It's just like what, what we do, we, we see this all the time. You remember, remember I heard a preacher one time talking about this. And he was saying that, you know, he was thinking about this, how, how the law increases sin, it doesn't decrease sin. It's just what sin does, it goes underground and pops up and people go, whoa, what happened? But it was there all the time. It just, the power of sin is the law. But I heard about this preacher, he goes, he was thinking about this and he saw some kids out playing basketball. And so he thought he was going to test this out. And so he said, went out to those kids, said, kids, come over here. He goes, you having a good time yet? Whatever you guys do, I don't want you to spit on this flower. Whatever you do, don't spit on the flower. And the kids are like, we didn't even thought about spitting on the flower. But, but here's what's funny about it. He, he, he kept watching. So the kids are still playing basketball. Finally, one kid looked over at the flower. Then another kid looked over at the flower. Well, by the, way, by the end of the whole situation, they're all over there spitting on the flower. Why are they spitting on the flower? Because you told me not to spit on it. Just like when it says wet paint, don't touch. What do we do? We don't go, oh, I'm not going to touch it. We reach out our little grubby little hands. and Why? Because it, it stirs something in us. It's not that the law is evil. The law is not evil. The law is good. In fact, Paul said in Romans 7, the law is Good, the law is holy, the law is spiritual. But then he says, the problem is me. I'm the problem. 
The law is not the problem. I'm the problem. What the law does is when it comes in contact with me, it, it stirs up all kinds of evil desire in me. So how do you get victory over that? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, it says that if you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the law, you will live. Or the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So it's by the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of grace. When grace is working in a human heart, what happens is the person acts totally out of character. He doesn't act like a human anymore. Remember, I, 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 I read um, in 2 Corinthians where Paul talked about that church, how they were in deep poverty and they were going through deep trouble, but they had great joy and they were totally generous. And he goes, that's grace. Now you could try to get people, you could say, you could make a law, say, you guys got to be generous. I don't, I don't, in, in environments like that, people do things grudgingly. And God loves a willing heart. Look at your neighbor and say, a willing heart. I mean, don't you like that with your kids? I'm kind of blowing up my message notes here. But don't you like that with your kids when you go, honey, I want you to clean up the room. You just go, oh, I just love this. Is, is that how you feel? You go, can we have a good attitude about this? We've had, I've been feeding you. I've been clothing you. I've been giving you ding-dongs and ho-hos and ice cream. Can we just have a good attitude here? Yeah. So, so what happens when... when well, what about this, like, you know, I remember one time, you know, years ago, um, I don't even know where this sermon's going to go, but <laughs> years ago, I remember one time, I, I, um, you know, we had five kids, and my wife, she, she's a, an amazing woman, my wife. You should get to know my wife. She is an amazing woman. And, um, and so she basically, you know, was the main pillar in raising those kids. I'm just like, I would get like, my God, I need to get... <laughs> I need a tranquilizer. One of us, the kids need to take a tranquilizer. I need. I mean, one of us needs to take one. You know what I mean? That's how I feel. And, um, and so one time my wife goes, she wanted to go to a conference with a bunch of ladies down in Oklahoma. And I'm going, <laughs> I'm looking at her going, you're going to leave me with the kids? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? <laughs> but finally I said, okay. What am I saying? You know, that's what I'm thinking to myself. So I got all the kids together, five of them. Five kids, a lot of kids. <laughs> I got them all together, and I said, now look at kids. Mom, mom, mom's going to, mom's going to uh, you know, this conference, and, I, and so I, I need your help here. I really do. I need you to be gooder than you've ever been good before. And so I give them this whole thing about you need to be really good. And so you wouldn't believe that they just rose to the challenge. They're helping dish, helping do dishes, helping cook, and so they did good for about. It was like a week long. They did good for about thir- three days, and then the fourth day, I don't know if there's a Bible word or something on the fourth day. <laughs> and actually, what I had done was, I, I actually wrote them all a note, told them how good they were, and blah, you know, I did all that stuff. You know, really pot, you know, apply on, and then they just all went crazy. They just started fighting. And, and having you know, attitudes and all kinds of things. And so, and I had given them money, too, for, for thanking, thanking them. And, and they just started pitching attitudes and all this stuff. I wanted to go around and say, give me those cards back. Give me that money back. <laughs> You're fired. You know, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> I don't know why I told you that story. <laughs> but, but, he, but what I'm trying to say is that, isn't it joyful to have kids that have wonderful attitudes? Isn't that joyful? It's awesome. It's when they do things with a, with a willing heart. You know, God's the same way. God likes it when we do things with a willing heart. And there's nothing that's more empowering than grace. There's nothing more empowering than grace. When grace is working on a human heart, it gives you the ability to do what you can't do in yourself. You know, I give this example. I, I gave it last week. But some of you weren't here, so I'm going to give it again. But I used to have trouble with smoking smoking cigarettes. And, um, you know, it was it's kind of a funny story because I would go out, and I would say, all right, God, never again. I'd throw them out the window, littering now, you know. And then the next day I'd go back into the bushes looking for the, you know, because, and I did that for years. I mean, when I say years, I mean, and I was a Christian. I mean, for the first like five years or whatever, my Christian, I'd have to think about how long exactly. And I would seesaw back and forth. I would have victory for a few, few months, and then I'd f- fail fall back into it. And one day when I was praying, 
God spoke to me and said, I don't want you to smoke again. And I mean, I kind of knew it was wrong, but when I heard his voice say, don't smoke again, I don't want you to smoke anymore. That was my last day. And that was over 40 years ago. Or was it 40 years ago? Yeah, over 40 years ago. That was my last day of smoking. I haven't smoked in 40 years, and you say, I mean, I sometimes think about it, but it's just not, it, the, the power of temptation is gone. And what happened was when, the, when, the, when he spoke to me, because you know how many know this is true, that the, the new covenant, God said, I'll write my laws on their heart. When the Holy Spirit comes, the lawgiver comes. When the lawgiver comes, he's, he leads us into all truth. That's why the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Right? So he wants us to be led by the Spirit. He wants us to be, he wants us to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He wants us to, to, to do things moving by grace and not just by somebody hands us a, a, a list of rules and we try so hard to live up to it and we fail. And then we fall into condemnation and then we have the devil accusing us and, and telling us that we'll never amount to anything, we'll never get above this, we'll never rise above this because we failed before and we'll fail again and God doesn't love us. And that's how I struggled for years before I finally had people around me that could encourage me, keep me going. But then I got the revelation of grace and I realized that I'm not holding God, he's holding me. He got a hold of me. Amen. And when I, when I sin, I don't run away from God. I run to God. The natural tendency is run away. Don't run away. Run to him. Say, Father, I blew it. Help me. I need help. I need grace. You know, it's interesting. And so when you start looking at it this way, it's such a powerful truth because it affects everything. Because like I said to you last week, I said that when you look at things like salvation, eternal life, righteousness, justification, all those are the big words in the New Testament. They're big words. You should know what every one of them are. But they're always accompanied with the word gift. The gift of eternal life. The gift of righteousness. The gift of justification. The gift of salvation. It's never, it's never a payment or a, a work that we do. It's a gift. So what do we do with a gift? We, what, we receive a gift. We receive a gift. We don't work for a gift. If you, if you put a, a price on it or you add a, a payment with it, it's no longer a gift. And that bugs religious people because religious people like to work for things. Amen. Preach, Steve. I believe I will. But God says it's, it's, Paul said it's by grace, through faith. Faith is the, like the two arms that we have, that when God offers a gift, we, the two arms we have is our faith. We reach out and we take it. We receive it. Can you receive a gift? That's why the greatest, I always say this, I don't know if you remember me saying this, but the greatest achievers in the kingdom of God are the greatest receivers. If you can be a good receiver, you'll be a great re achiever. But the law basically says you need to achieve and then, you, then you'll receive. Grace says, no, no, no. Receive and then you can achieve. You know, I was thinking about this. L let me show you a verse here. I didn't read Ephesians 2. Can I just jump ahead? Do you guys mind? Okay, I'm just going to anyway, so I don't know. <laughs> but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what Paul said in verse 10. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By what? By the grace of God, God's ability. You know, the Vines Expository New Dictionary of New Testament Words says that defines grace like this. The divine influence upon the heart that's, effect, that's affected in the life. So in other words, Christianity is inward change before outward change. Religion is outward change behavior modification. We, be behave our, we, be we modify our outward behavior, but we have no inward transformation. God works on the heart. God transforms the heart, and then it's reflected in the life because it's by grace. Amen. Paul says, I am what I am by grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain, 
but I labored more abundantly than they all. I labored more abundantly than they all. So here he's talking about working or laboring. Then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The grace of God, which was with me. In other words, I labored more, but it wasn't really me. It was grace. There was something working inside me that kept energizing me, kept pushing me forward, kept enabling me, kept empowering me to go. Go, Paul. Go. Don't quit. Keep going. And it was the grace of God working on my heart. You know, when you see a person, when you see a person exhibiting the tremendous love of God, the tremendous character of God, isn't that a beautiful thing? When you see somebody in the face of, of no reason for forgiveness, offers forgiveness, offers love, offers uh, something benevolent. We look at that and we say, that's beautiful. Well, that's another word for grace. Grace is beauty. Or look, at the, look at that person's grace and beauty. Look at that, isn't it? And that's what grace does. Grace transforms a human life when it touches a person's life. Paul said, I am what I am by grace. And so in the kingdom of God, the greatest receivers are the greatest achievers. Under the law, the, the order is reversed. You've got you to achieve, then you get. And see, in the natural speaking, when you think about this, I, I thought about this, and I'm going to try something out on you this morning. And you can either go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But I just want to try. You know, the Bible says that the goodness of God, the goodness of God, leads men to repentance. In other words, when people experience God's goodness, it leads them to repent. Where in the Old Testament, the opposite was true. The opposite was, you need to repent to experience God's goodness. In the New Testament, experience God's goodness, you'll repent. See, it reverses. In the New Testament, under grace, things are reversed. See, God doesn't wait for you to clean up your act, and he goes, okay, I'll die for you. He already demonstrated his love for you, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. In other words, he acted on your behalf. He acted on your behalf. He moved on your behalf by dying on a cross for you. In other words, he showed his goodness first, and that goodness leads us to repentance. Does that make sense? You know, it's interesting. So, so how many know that there's a, a formula, there's like a... Um, English formula for the word, uh, you know, it says I is before E, except after what? So now watch this for a minute. So I is before E. I is always before E. I, me. I is always before E, except after a C, Christ. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know how this would work. but So after C, E is before I. Now listen to this. This is going to be a wild. E is the fifth letter of the alphabet. Five in numeral numbers in the Bible, five is the number for grace. You can Google that in the Bible. You can go, not in the Bible, but in. You can Google that, but don't Google it right now. Listen to my sermon, then you Google it afterwards, okay? But if you Google it, they'll say because the, all the Bible is numer, numeric uh, coded, and so five is is the letter is the number for grace. So listen, watch this formula: I before E. How does it go again? Except, what? After C. So in other words, when Christ comes in, when Christ comes in the formula, he reverses the order. When Christ comes into a person's life, all of a sudden, E, which is the fifth letter, which is grace, grace becomes before I, which is where works is, comes from is I. So in other words, you receive grace so that... I'm going to yell right here. Can I yell... We receive grace so that we can be empowered to do the right thing. Isn't that great? So in other words, I have God's favor, not by what I do, but by the fact that I received Christ. 
into my life. You see, let me show you. I don't have this in my notes, but turn over here, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just for a second. So where does faith come in? Faith comes in because it's by faith that we receive. Amen. Do you guys like that formula thing? Was that like a stretch? Did I stretch it there a little? Boy, you were stretching there, buddy. Okay, well, I'm not making it a strict doctrine. I just thought it was kind of a quimsy, nimsy thing. You know, it's... So, so look, at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because sometimes people say, well, when the Bible says that no man, by, the, by the works of the law shall no one be justified in God's sight. Because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's Romans 3. So some people say, well, that's not talking about the Ten Commandments. It's talking about all the other laws. Because the, the law is, there's actually 600, and I think it's 20, or somewhere around there, six, over 600 laws. There's the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law. But then there's judicial laws. And then there's uh, ceremonial cleansing laws. So there's over 600 laws. So when they say, when they say, uh, when the Bible says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, because through the law comes the knowledge of sin, they say it's not talking about the Ten Commandments. It's talking about the, all the other laws, ceremonial laws, judicial laws. But watch what it says here, Paul says here. He makes a comparison. Look at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 3. It says, I'm going to have to have my glasses. Can you get, get them for me? Otherwise, my wife said, don't squint. You have this horrible look on your face when you squint. <laughs> so verse 6, I guess it is. Verse 6. Okay, are they women? Oh. I don't want to get too close to the line. You know, I don't want to cross over. It says, who also made a sufficient, God made a sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Notice the comparison he makes. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, what does it do? It kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, this is what he calls it. He calls it the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. So the children of Israel could not steadily look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which, was, which glory was passing away, how will not the ministry, notice the comparison, the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? See, there's only one part of the law that was written on stone, and that was the Ten Commandments. None of the other parts of the law were written on stone, only the Ten Commandments. Look at what he calls it. He calls it a ministry of death. Why does he call it a ministry of death? Because when you come in contact with law, you die. Because what, you, what do you become aware of? You become aware that you're a sinner. That's what you become aware with. So when you preach law, what you do is you just put people in, in, in the condition of sin. Now, some people, if they're proud and they think that they got it all together, they need to hear a little law. Because they need to realize that they have a need, a great need. And if you meet somebody that's, well, I, you know, I do this and I do that. Have you ever told, you need to give them some law because they need to realize they have a need. The law was never meant to be the answer. The law was to magnify the problem. The law dissects who you are. The law tells you who you are. It's like a mirror. How many know if you put up, bring up a mirror and you look in it and it, that mirror says ugly? It ain't long. No. <laughs> And I've never had that happen. I've never looked at No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. It was a bad joke. But anyways, but how many know that the, 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 the law tells you that you are lost? The law tells you your condition. The law isn't the answer to your condition. It diagnoses your condition. That you're a fallen human being. That you are totally depraved and you cannot save yourself. That's why the Bible says that Christ is the end of the law. In other words, the law's conclusion is you need a savior because you're lost. And so then if you switch back, you get saved by grace through faith. Then you switch back to the law. Now you're going back to what puts you in bondage in the first place. 
And that's what Paul said. Paul was so, Paul gets, you know, some of us don't realize how, because if you read the King James, you don't realize, but Paul would get pretty upset sometimes. Like one time he was talking about, because the Judaizers would follow him around. Those were the, the Christian, the, the Jewish believers that believe that you believe on Christ, but you've got to live under the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to live under the law, or you can't be saved. And Paul refuted that, rejected that. He said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You let that come in, and it's going to leaven the whole thing, and people are going to start serving God out of, out, of, out of works and not out of grace. And so the law diagnoses our condition, but the law is not the thing that cures our condition. It's just like if you go to the doctor, and they got all these machines now, and they hook you up to something, they go, well, you got a serious problem. This machine shows that you have whatever. You have a serious problem. Well, that machine isn't healing you. It's just telling you you got a serious problem. The law doesn't make you righteous. You can't be made righteous by the law. It's impossible. The law doesn't make you righteous. The law shows you that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. The, the end of the law, the conclusion that the law has is you need Jesus. Does that make sense? So notice how he keeps comparing here. He says, the ministry of death written and engraved on stone, that's verse 7, was glorious. So there's a degree of glory and, and working of God in that, but, it's, but then he compares it. How will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? In other words, the law can take you so far, but it can't, you can't go any further. But the ministry of the Spirit can cause you to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So which one do you want? Do you want to just live a frustrated, up-and-down Christian life where you, you maybe do a little good for a while, then you fall on your face and you're frustrated and you're, you, you, have, you don't have the ability to rise above this and you're just struggling and keep trying and keep trying and just struggling? Or do you want to rise above it? Do you want to be empowered or do you want to just do it your... You know, like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Which one is it? Which, which, which way? I, I choose grace. And, and so what, what the, the, the deal is, what I want to be is a, I want to be a tremendous receiver. Let me just read this next verse here. How will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, that's talking about the law, the Ten Commandments. The, he calls it the ministry of condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So he's saying that if a person truly believes the gospel, embraces the gospel, his life will be far more glorious. Because now he's not, now he's not the work of his own ability. He's the work of God's ability. God's ability is working in him. Just like Paul said, I am what I am by grace. You see my life, how Christ-like I am? My life is a transformation of grace. Does that make sense? And so in, under, the, under the idea of grace, what we do is we receive and then we achieve. We receive and then we achieve. We've got to learn to be good receivers. And the way we receive is we receive by faith. Does that make sense? So let me, go, let me just go a little bit further here, and this is probably going to, but, but one reason why people are so fascinated with faith, because I am fascinated with faith. I remember when I was, when I was a kid, and I wasn't a Christian, and, and so we'd go to church, and usually I would, when, you know, because we had Sunday school first, and then we had church. So usually I would skip out of Sunday school, and I wouldn't tell you what I'd do. But anyways, and, and so then, um, but one time I went to Sunday school, because my dad made me, he followed me or something. I couldn't remember. What, I couldn't sneak off. But anyways, he followed me. And so I went to Sunday school. And I still remember this after like 50 years, 55 years. I still remember this. The Sunday school teacher got up and was talking about how faith moves mountains. How many of that's in the Bible? And he said that he had... <laughs> he said, Whoever says to this mountain... Now, I'm just telling you, I still remember this. I'm not suggesting you do this, but I'm just saying I still remember this. 
So he had gone out and there was like, we lived in California at that time, and there were these little hills or they, they kind of call them mountains, but not really mountains. But, and, and so he said he had spoke to one and the next day, earth movers were out there moving it. <laughs> and after 55 years, I still remember that example. So, I mean, when you think about faith, I mean, it's, subtle, it's like what all the, all the things the Bible says about faith are just amazing. Right? I mean, Jesus told the woman, at the, Jesus told the woman with the issue of blood, he said, your faith has made you well. Your faith. He didn't say, I have made you well. He said, your faith has made you well. Another thing that Jesus said about faith, that faith can move mountains. It can uproot trees. It can send demons fleeing. Peter walked on the water by faith because Jesus said when he started to sink, Jesus said, why did you doubt? So he was walking on water by faith. And the Christian life is called a life of faith. And that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And John said in 1 John that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And then he says, with Jesus said, with God all things are possible. And then he also said, all things are possible to him that believes. So when you look at that list, you go, man, I would like to figure out how to get this faith thing working for me. Right? Because every single thing that we receive from God. Let's go back and read Ephesians chapter 2. Everything God did has done for us, talk, talking about the riches, the riches of God in Christ, all those riches come to us by faith. Look at what it says here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Everybody knows these verses. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Notice, through, it comes to us through faith. By grace you've been saved. Grace is what God's provided it comes to you through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift. Everybody say the word gift. Everybody say gift. Yes. Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we receive everything that we have, we receive it by, we receive it by faith. Everything that God provides, how it comes to our life, it comes to our life by faith. And so what, let me just a answer a couple of questions here. A couple of questions here. Um, because I think that when you think about this, so what is the definition of faith? Turn over here to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So first of all, you think about it, how many here have hope for something? You, you have hope for something, to change, to receive something. In your future, you have, a, you have a hope. I have a hope. I have a hope. I have a lot of hope. And hope, you should all have hope. Because one translation says that faith gives substance to our hope. Hope is, by the Bible definition of hope, is a confident expectation of good a steady, persistent optimism. That's why when, when, you know, Oral Roberts used to come on and say, something good is going to happen to you, people go, I know something bad is going to happen to me today. I, I know probably, but hey, something good is going to happen to you too. Don't <laughs> you have that stinky attitude? Probably said a lot of bad things are going to happen to you. But, but he'd say something good is going to happen to you. What he's trying to do, he's trying to create hope. Because faith gives substance to hope. And I heard one guy explain it like this. He's, it's like, you know, in your house, you, you, have a, you have a furnace in your house, which creates heat, which you know, we're, we're going to be needing here soon. How many heard that, that thing that said that it's going to be a t bad winter? How many heard that? Don't you want to just try to rebuke that? <laughs> you want to go, where's global warming when you need it, you know? Don't you feel that way? Come on! You want to send a picture to whoever, there's global warming. Well, here, look at this. <laughs> 30 below in a you know, blizzard, you know, so. But, but, so we all have furnaces in our house. That's where the heat comes from. That's the power. But we also need one other thing, which is what? A thermostat. A thermostat. We need a thermostat. 
And so in your thermostat, you set, you set the heat for 70, and the furnace works to bring the house to that level. Your thermostat is like your hope, where you set with your hope where you want your life to go, where you want what, the things you want changed, the things you want new direction. You set that with your thermostat, and then faith comes, which is the furnace. Faith comes and gives substance to what you set, your hope. It works. But if you don't have a thermostat, faith will just be dormant. I'm spitting. I'm sorry. There'd be a splash. But, but faith, faith is like the furnace that gives substance to what you hope for. See, because when you think about substance, substance is a solid word. Substance. Faith gives substance to the things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And so it's important for us to have hope because hope-filled thoughts are like a helmet that protects our mind. Having hope fill our minds gives faith something to give substance to. So the thing, a lot of times what happens is when you hear scripture, all of a sudden hope comes. My life can be different. And you go hope, you start hoping. And that's a good thing. But then what will happen is that faith will give substance to the things that you hope for. Let me give you one last thing, then we'll close. You guys still okay? Are you still back on that C before I and all that stuff? So like, is five really the number for grace? Is he making that up? No, I didn't make it up. So where does faith come from? How does faith come? Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. How does faith come? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, I always thought it was interesting as the worship team comes. I always thought it was interesting how the Bible doesn't say faith comes by hearing God's word or hearing the word of God. It says hearing twice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I think what he's trying to tell you there is that faith, it's hearing on a, on a spiritual level, not just hearing. Because a lot of times you can, you can hear, just like you hear facts or you hear, hear things, information, and we just get information overload. But there's a hearing that, that is so powerful because when God speaks into your heart, or God, God's word becomes alive, becomes something living. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes the written word and he, and he imparts a portion of it to us. Most people don't get saved by hearing, just hearing, but they get saved when they're hearing and hearing. In other words, God's word comes so powerfully to them. It's sort of like this. I heard a guy use this example, and I think this is true. It's like, you know, you, you want to have a baby. Well, I don't want to go into the birds and bees this morning, but you, you got to be intimate with your wife. If you're not, you're not going to have a baby. <laughs> if you're not, you're not going to have a baby. And the same is true. The same is true with Scripture. Faith doesn't come from just knowing things about God. Faith comes from God speaking a word to you. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that you just walk out there with your, you know, trying to like put up an antenna like, okay, God, where are you? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you're going to find it here in the Scriptures. But God's going to take the scripture, a scripture or the scriptures and he's going to impact your heart. And faith, from that, faith comes. It becomes a word to you in your situation. You know, I always, one of the most inspiring fellows in the Bible is Abraham. Because when you look at the guy and what he was, what he was living in, he was living in the most hopeless situation as far as having a baby. 
because him and his wife had been trying for years, decades, and nothing. I mean, how many would give up? You know, now we're getting older. But what happened was, in the midst of that darkness, God spoke. I don't know what that, I don't know what that was like for Abraham when God said, I, he didn't say, I'm going to make you. He said, I have made you a father of many nations. He's, he's, he's like, I don't have one kid. We've been trying for years. There's no hope. Talk about, being, talk about a dark place. And God said, I have made you. In other words, with you, you're barren. But with me, you're the father of nations. I've made you the father of nations. And when that word came, I, I believe the lights came on. And all of a sudden, hope came. And then faith came. And I believe that God wants to speak a word into your situation. But that's why like we worship, we spend time in the word, we spend time with God in prayer. Why? Because God will take his written word and he'll speak a word into our spirit, into our situation, and the light will come. Amen? Well, let's all stand together. So faith are like the two arms that we receive. How does faith come? It comes from hearing God through his word, hearing scripture. Let's sing this song.
Hallelujah. You know, your, your faith needs God to experience God's goodness. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray right now that your goodness would fall on every person's life here. Lord, you said your goodness leads us to repentance. And Lord, I just pray right now that your goodness would fall on every single person's life. That thing that they're concerned about, that thing that they're troubled by, that thing that they're struggling with, that thing that they're trying to overcome, I pray goodness right now, your goodness would fall upon them, Lord, that you'd give grace for the journey ahead. Thank you, God. Thank you for answering my prayer, Lord, because it's your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to come. If you're a prayer counselor, please come forward. And so if you need prayer here this morning for anything, physical need, spiritual need, whatever, just come on forward. One of these prayer counselors will pray for you. We got some, some refreshments out there somewhere. Um, somebody smuggled some in somewhere. And so you can join us for some fellowship afterwards. But don't forget the women's meeting this Thursday. And then also don't forget, we start Wednesday night on the 6th of October at 6.30 right here at church. Something for everybody, the whole family, kids and everybody. And we'll be talking about how to get along with difficult people all the time. Our topic is how to get along with everybody all the time. Amen. Hey, it's been great being with you guys. God bless you. You're free to go. If you need prayer, please come forward now.